Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. What links Gandhi, Dangerous Liaisons, Groundhog Day, My Name is Joe, The Fisher King, and You've Got Mail? The answer is composer George Fenton, who scored all of these films as well as a hundred odd more. He also provided the music for several big-budget BBC wildlife documentaries, including Blue Planet. So we are indeed in esteemed company on our latest episode of Soundtracking, the weekly podcast about screen music with me, Edith Bowman. I caught up with George on the release of Red Joan, a British spy drama starring Sophie Cookson and Judi Dench. As usual, you'll hear George's work from this and other movies throughout the conversation, as well as his experiences of collaborating with Stephen Frears, Ken Loach, Nora Ephron and Sir Richard Attenborough. And it's with a beautiful cue from Sir Richard's film Cry Freedom that we begin, called Dangerous Country. George, welcome to Soundtrack and thank you so much for your time. Well, it's lovely to be here. It was absolutely mesmerising diving into some research about you and just seeing the wealth of music that you've created for film over the years. Congratulations. (laughs) Wow. Thank you. It's amazing. Well, well, it's, um, it's, uh, yes, well, it's been a, it's been great, um, actually, and a long, a long haul, but uh, but a good one. (laughs) It's always been interesting because the people... I think, you know, film's so collaborative and you work, if you are lucky enough to work with really great people, mm. then you get involved in some great projects. And, and I've just been very fortunate that way that I've met and worked with through mainly luck, just um, had the opportunities that I've had. So, yeah, yeah. it's been good. Let's, let's talk about the most recent project that I've, I've been lucky enough yeah. to see, Red Joan, directed by Trevor Nunn and this wonderful, I guess, opportunity for you as a creating music for it around these two different time periods as well. We were kind of joking earlier about are there still stories to be told about the Cold War and about spies? And, and this is great because it's a female perspective and these two points in the life of this woman, the older version played by Judy Dench and the young, younger version played brilliantly by Sophie, whose surname I've completely forgotten for a second, Sophie Cookson. At what point were you brought in on this project? Well, uh, I mean, unusually for this, in my career, um, <laughs> I put, I, I actually put myself forward for this because I had, um, I read it, and I read it, and I thought it was such an interesting story that I, I kind of volunteered, which I, <laughs> I don't normally do, only because because to volunteer and then be rejected is oh so sad, <laughs> yeah. but 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 um. But I sort of volunteered to do it, and uh, <clears throat> and then I, but then I didn't really get involved. You know, it's a sort of normal process. So I would 
come in once they'd shot, got a rough cut, had a sort of couple of looks at it, mm -hmm. sort of somewhere between an assembly and a fine cut, they would start, yeah. then I'd start to look at it. And um, the time jumps are very interesting, but I think that the key to the film and, you know, what we call the, sp the spotting of the music, mm -hmm. like where, where to start and stop, which drove the score in a way, because the, the most important aspect of this story is that whenever you're watching Sophie, Cookson as the young Joan. Yeah. You need to be aware of the older Joan, mm -hmm. that it's her story that's being told. Yeah. So in a way, it's not about two stories. Mm -hmm. It's not about this was this young person and then this is this old person. This is the story of the young person through the eyes and imagine, well, through the memory and, and, and yeah. the eyes of the older person prompted by the people that are interviewing her. Yeah. So so she's all ever present, I think. And and she's a very big personality, Judy Dench. <laughs> yeah. So actually she is ever present. I think you don't ever sort of totally you never sort of lose lose her in the mm. story, hopefully, and she inhabits the old story. Yeah. Well, yeah. I wanted to yeah. ask about what it is that you connect with then when you're watching those the, the kind of rough assembly or, or whatever is is it is it a combination of things is it the emotion you're tapping into is it the performances as well do they play a part in influencing where you go musically be that with melody or be that with instrumentation well it's hard to be analytical because i'm nearly always touch wood working so so i'm working now and i don't want to try to explain explain what i'm doing um how how it, how i think about it but i think it's um a mixture of things it's it's to do with looking at the film and seeing really what of what is on the screen what needs to be touched in you know what yeah. so if you does the scene play with enough tension mm -hmm. without anything or not. And if it if it doesn't, then that's one thing yeah. music can do. Three sprinkle your magic. Yes, you can do well, <laughs> music can do something, you know, in that direction. And I think then, um, other than that, yes, the emotional connection with characters. And the uh, emotional connection with characters is something that you is a privilege really when you write film music because because you have the film long enough you know we go and see a movie and we just say oh i liked you know yeah. i like the green book or you know i like i like black Klansman, or yeah. like, you know we we just say yeah we liked it but but what did we do we only went we just had a look at it and came home that was it yeah but you know when you're writing for a film you you you're with it every single day yeah non-stop every shot every everything you know it backwards you could i can recite the film and i can recite the scene order and the because i'm so into the every nuance of every mm -hmm. cart and everything it's a really a treat in that way <laughs> you know i've never sort of yeah. thought of it before like that but it is actually a real 
privilege to be allowed to know something that well because of the skills involved, you know, the skills in every way, the camera, the cutting, hmm. production design, the yeah. acting, the directing, it's all, they all, they're all evident to you when you're working on it. You have the time to actually kind of pay attention yeah. to them specifically. Which yeah. I do love and um, the only dif difficult thing about it is that, you know, when you commit to writing music, music's quite labour intensive mm -hmm. and you have to write work quite hard to write it yeah so when you get into it it just becomes you suddenly reach a point when <laughs> it tips over and it becomes how to write this piece of music <laughs> yeah and then to stand away from it and be objective about what it does and how it works that's when it gets <laughs> yeah. tough yeah but it doesn't matter because there's always people waiting in the wings to, tell you. to come and tell you that yeah. they don't like it. Yeah. So actually, it's okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. But it's wonderful to see the relationships that you have built along the way that, that continue and, and working with, with directors, you know, on, on several occasions. And you, you mentioned Stephen Frears in the number of films that you work with, with on him. Immediately, I think of Dangerous Liaisons. Wow. I know, it's a wonderful film. Oh. Everything about that, though, you talk about, you know, you have that luxury of, of watching things over and over and you appreciate the costume designer's work and the, the makeup and hair. And, and with that, that's a great example of all these pieces of oh, a yeah. puzzle just fitting perfectly. Jim Atchison, the, oh. the master, the costume, I mean, absolutely astonishing. Yeah. And Philippe Rousselot, the camera. You've I got mean, a great memory. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they, they're, they're, they're very, very great people. I, um, yeah, but I mean, since you mentioned it, and as I was saying before, that the film is full of most wonderful performances, but Glenn Close in that film is almost unbelievable in how great she is. How did she not get the Oscar? No, how she didn't get the how Oscar, I do not no. know. Because, you know, when you're working and you you stop the film, you know, you stop the film, and usually it's a really bad shot. You know, it's a really <laughs> yeah. bad moment. They've got, yeah. Like squint mouth yeah, or yeah, 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 yeah. Their mouth sort of hanging out with the tongue <laughs> hanging out. So it's just like you stop the film and it's like, well, honestly, you could go frame by frame through that film mm. and... There's never a moment when she doesn't completely know and her eyes don't completely tell you what's going It's just yeah. incredible. The power, I mean, yeah, the power. And, you know, we see these people on screen and you think, wow, you know. Mm -hmm. But you forget that they've had to get them out their trailer and then they have to stand around and then they have to take the coat off because they're freezing cold and it's got this contraption of a coffee. thing they, on. yeah then they give them they give, take your cup of coffee okay were well, you ready yeah and then we're not quite ready yet and, uh, and then okay we're ready yes okay turn over sound dink you know and then bang clapperboard and then they need to be in it yes like and, that and that is a skill you can never overestimate <laughs> great acting is is like up there with everything i think did you go on set at all for for that I did. Did you, yeah? I did. <laughs> in, um, in Paris, um, I went on set because I was supposed to play um, the conductor, or, well, the Kapellmeister, as it were, of, of the orchestra yeah. in the opera, mm -hmm. in the pit. Yeah. But the shots of the orchestra that in the pit in the opera were, were cut, actually. So, <laughs> so I didn't appear. Awkward. Well, I have since appeared as a conductor <laughs> in a film, and uh, and um, yeah, but no, that was um, that was a shame. What but, do you remember about working on that film, and what are your memories of? Well, what was really great about that film was that um, I had an early meeting with Stephen, and I thought that we were going to use because we'd recorded the opera, which was you know an op Gluck, 
French opera. And so I thought we'd probably use, you know, music that was contemporary to yeah. the period. Mm -hmm. So we would use some, I don't know, Vivaldi or, you know, more Gluck, whatever, whatever. And I, I had a meeting with him. I went around to his house and I said, are we going to go this way? And I pl we played a few examples of period music. And he said, I don't know, actually. He said, I think it probably should be more like North by Northwest. Interesting. That's what he said. And I said, okay, yeah. shot it and everything and then of course because he's a great scholar of film the framing mm -hmm. of like all the close-ups I'm not sure if they are exact copies but he used as a reference one of the references he used was the film Notorious and he, it has so when we then tried you know then, then I, I said okay well so we we played a bit of Bernard Herrmann's music just against the film mm. And it just sort of went, oh, hello, you know. So I then thought, well, this is great because it means that the music can be part of the, or can be a malevolent character in this film. Yeah. And I can make this music like a malevolent force. scenes in it where he's messing around John Malkovich and the music is is sort of in that sort of noirish yeah. dark Bernard Hermony way kind of saying and now he is being terrible to this person yeah and he is
And then it would kind of break down into a, a bit of Vivaldi sometimes as a sort of a joke. So he gave me a really an amazing opportunity with the film and I loved doing it. I, I really, really did love doing it. There's a wonderful list of films that I kind of made some notes on. For me personally, that just resonated. Um, we'll get on to Ken Loach in a minute because you've worked on so many of, of Ken's yes. wonderful, wonderful films. But I wanted to mention The Fisher King with Terry Gillingham, if that's oh, right. possible, please, because I love that film so much. It's a lovely uh, film. It's incredible. There are so many great films out there that you're reminded about by various things happening and, and with the really sad passing of of Robin Williams and that was the first thing I went to because I think it's one of his best performances and it's Terry gave him the opportunity I think to give a performance that no one else had really given him that stage to do again you know they but you know the old adage script and cast you know yeah it was a wonderful script brilliantly cast because the foil that Jeff Bridges was to to Robin, Torben, Williams. yeah it was just great. That's a, a, such an important thing, isn't it? The chemistry. Absolutely, the casting's important, but that chemistry has got to... That you've got to have that kind of chemistry going on. Of course, Terry is, is such a, a, a kind of wild man. Yeah. Know, and, and crazy. He's like a mad wizard. Yes, he is. And he will... <laughs> when you're writing, again, you know, if you're writing a thing and you go and see the film and then you... He does a, a where the camera at the, near the front of the film. Do you remember where it tips <laughs> yeah. over the side of the building and yeah. looks down the building? And you go, I love this. Mm -hmm. He's just opened the paint box and he's you're just in gonna, there already. He's just going to play yeah. now, mm -hmm. and he he could. And I think that there was something in that, in that in Terry, that completely chimed with an actual side of Robin's personality. Yeah, and in a way. When you look back on it, it's very touching and sweet. Feels and really true to him. And really true to him. Yeah. You know, there is a certain kind of wackiness that is absolutely in his DNA. And and I think the story just tapped into those things. And, and again, it was, it was so fun to do. And um, I, yeah, I just, I mean, I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Zero Theorem, and that was... Which I love the main theme for that as well. Um, well oh, I, 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 I loved the Zero Theorem. Amazing. And it was just as crazy, you know, and, <laughs> and, 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 and everything. But it's not... There was something about the Fisher King. I, I think that um, it's quite important that the Fisher King was one of the films, perhaps one of the few films, where... Terry's been working within a major studio mm -hmm. and I think in The Fish King was very well looked after, absorbed, you know, that they could absorb the kind of, I can't think of the words, I don't want to say lunacy, but, but you know, they could... Creative lunacy, creative, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the creative, yeah. yeah, you know, the kind of totally. the sparks flying. Yeah. And, and it was very well produced. So there was a kind of a, 
a framework around it and production values given to mm. it that meant that he could really, really deliver. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that Terry needs is he needs a blank check. He needs creative freedom. Yeah, because if he has the blank check, he can do extraordinary things mm. and he can do extraordinary things without it. But somehow, you know, that, that was a really good feeling, that film. Mm. It didn't have any... There was there was seemed to be no problems. That was really nice. How did you get to meet and start working with Ken Loach? I think it was largely because, I mean, I've never asked him who it was that suggested he called me. Um, <laughs> but he hasn't called anyone else since. No, no. <laughs> he hasn't, no. Um, but I think he'd done several films. I mean, of course, his, his background is that he did a lot of films without any music at all. Yeah. But he had a period of working with um, Stuart Copeland, and yep, from they the police, did great, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. the, the the drummer from Police, and they did really good. You know, I loved I loved the films that he made, mm -hmm. Riff Raff, and those things yeah. that they did. And um, I think that Stuart used to live in London, and then I think he moved back to live in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I think they tried to do one film, and he was over there. Ken was over mm -hmm. here, just like it's, it's not, not the way he wants never, to work. Yeah, maybe not. And. Uh, now it doesn't sound. Now it sounds funny because you would say, "Well, it doesn't really matter where he is because I can, we, you know, we can Skype or we can do, you know." Yeah, but but, but back but then, then yeah. and and Ken also likes sort of to be, you know, to work in a certain way. So he he just literally rang up, and when he rang up, I thought it first of all must be a joke because at that time I was doing mainly rom, I mean I was mainly doing rom coms and you got mail and things like that. Yes, no things for Nora Ephron and and. Groundhog Day and thing, you know, I didn't. Which I watched again recently. My husband and I sat down and watched. <laughs> it was one of those things where we were going, should we watch a movie? Yeah, and we went, and it was like, yes, let's. Oh my god, it was such a treat. It's what a so treat! Oh, it's such a great film. It is a, it's really Oh, it's brilliant. It is a great film. Yeah, I oh. saw it recently too, actually, and I haven't seen it since it opened. <laughs> Thank you. 
what treat it was. Mm, well, I mean, he was, <sighs> he, yeah, he, he was another person that was just, I mean, he, he got unwell and, and died yeah, too young. Yeah, babies, but, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'd been doing all those kind of films and I was, so I, I thought there was a mistake, <laughs> you know, or something. And, and I went along to meet him and he just said, well, we're doing this film. And, and I said, okay. Uh, it was called Ladybird, Ladybird. Mm. Had a most amazing performance by Chrissy Rock. And I did the score. And um, that was that. And, and then we kept going. Yeah. I've made some notes on some of my favourite ones, on. but please feel free to tell no, me some mind. of no, yours. No, I don't mind. Um, my name is Joe. Wonderful film. Oh, yeah. my Peter Mullen, oh, I could. Amazing. I mean, one of my favourite actors, full stop. I think he's just incredible. Oh, come on, Shanks. Jesus, I have to go through with this, right? So what happens in the future? Does he hold up Liam again and say, I'm going to kick his fucking head in unless you do another job? I do these two jobs and I walk away. We do these two jobs? I, I thought, I thought, I thought we're just going for a wee trip up north. Where'd the second job come from? It's just two jobs. I'm, I'm real. Ah, oh, fuck's sake. You may as well get your fucking membership card for the McGowan clan. Oh, fuck off. Oh, come on. Wait. I'm not working for him. I'm doing, I'm doing two You're jobs. Fucking I'm doing two jobs for Liam. Is that right? Do you get short-term contracts for fucking drug dealers? problem with Liam's family? What is the fucking problem with Liam's family? What's the problem with Sabinjo? Tell me. She's a junkie. Oh, well, you might as well go up north and get her some fucking junk then, eh? You dance with a fucking devil. That's it, man. You're in the fucking gang. Ah, you are, nice. Joe. You are. I can't even believe how nice. fucking naive you get I'm to talk to I'm not being naive. I'm not going to call my tune. You've got to trust me, man. And there's some really fun bits. There's obviously there's a bit of status quo in there as well. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there's there's some beautiful themes that you've created. Sarah's theme is beautiful, beautiful piece of music as well.
And that thing where that music can do so brilliantly and so subtly, where it can tell you so much about a character that words can't. That's a very nice thing to say. I think it can do that provided the shot's there. Yeah. And the performance is yeah. in the shot. Yeah, I mean, there's a marriage know. of that, yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you can respond, but you said a very nice thing, and I think what you've also said is a very pure thing, and that Ken doesn't like the artifice of music. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't like, as it were, in inverted commas, film music. Yeah. But what he doesn't dislike is if the music can find a way to play a straight truth. And if it plays a straight truth mm-hmm. and makes means that you can experience the character themselves or their background or their feelings or something mm-hmm. in a more focused way, yeah. then it's good. And I think that weirdly, although he's, he's so economical about music, that in many ways that his outlook about music and films actually speaks in the best and most precise way about what film music should do mm-hmm. at the end of the day. You yeah. know what I mean? It's distills it down mm-hmm. to something that's almost impossible sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, it, yeah. but it does actually say what his point is. Yeah. Out of the films that you've worked together on, what's your most, I was going to say memorable, but I don't know if that's the right. Oh, it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Looking for Eric <laughs> because I'm a man you found. Me too! <laughs> Me too. Go, My dad took me to Old Trafford when I was 14 and oh, I well, just, it utterly was that's like, it. totally like, oh, that's it. That's it. So, so you yeah. know, it was the biggest, oh, wow. biggest kick <laughs> yeah, was, I bet. was to do that. You were on set every day. I wasn't actually. <laughs> but, I, but, I, I went, but, but, um, but I did meet Big Eric and it was, it was great. Yeah, I loved it. What was it like working with them, um, Richard Attenborough? What was he like as a, a well, director? He, uh, he was a wonderful director. He was also probably one of the best producers of all time <laughs> because he had a wonderful way with people. Yeah. It's harder for me to talk about him in a way now because when I met him, I was very young and and he was sort of like a father figure to me. So I can't really speak about him in a, in a way that that sound it sounds it sounds sentimental if I um, because he 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 looked after me to such a degree and gave me so many moments where writing film scores particularly for things like Gandhi which the studio are advertising as a world event um, has its pressures you know yeah. the object of this massive tribute died as he had always lived a private man without wealth without property without official title or office Mahatma Gandhi was not the commander of armies nor a ruler of vast lands he could not boast any scientific achievement or artistic gift. Yet men, governments, dignitaries from all over the world have joined hands today to pay homage to this little 
brown man in the loincloth led his country to freedom. In the words of General George C. Marshall, the American Secretary of State, Mahatma Gandhi has become the spokesman for the conscience of all mankind. He was a man who made humility a simple truth more powerful than empires. And Albert Einstein added, generations to come will scarce believe that such a one as this, ever in flesh and blood, walked upon this earth. And the situation was quite tricky because, because of the interested parties, the Indian government, mm. and Ravi Shankar, who I was working with, who, you know, wanted things one way and blah, blah, blah. And it, it was all kind of quite intense. Mm. And he had a way of just making you just okay. Yeah. He just would look after you and he would say things that, you know, one of your great nightmares when you're writing a film score always is, is this score going to be dropped and am I going to get fired, you know? <laughs> because is it any, I mean, what will happen? Because... It happens. It does, and it <laughs> obviously happens because it's the last thing in. Yeah. So it's going to be the first thing out. You know, yeah. you can't go and reshoot the film. Yeah. You can't go and get another person to play the main part. Mm. You, the, the one thing that everyone can sort of say, oh, I think we, you know, we really could do better than that, is with the music because it's coming at the last minute. Yeah. And I didn't know why, kind of with Gandhi particularly, I mean, I, I wasn't really sure why I was there. I mean, it was because I was so inexperienced. He would just make it okay. He would just say, well, if it can go right, we'll, we'll, you know, you'll just have to do it again. really wonderful to me and mm. um, and I owe him in a way my career because because his the first two films I did for him Gandhi and Cry, Cry Freedom, Freedom sort of in a way put me on the map it's interesting you say that because we I spoke to um Barry Jenkins recently about if Bill Street could talk he's a wonderful wonderful man and you know he was saying that it was really interesting because he knows that Nicholas Brattel who he works with very much reacts to the performances and if he'd cast someone else as the mother in If Bill Street Could Tell, the score would be completely yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. Which is a really interesting thing to think I'm about. I'm sure. In terms of those performances and, you know, talking about some of those films, Fisher King, if it hadn't been Jeff Bridges and Robin yeah, yeah, Williams, yeah. then your score been very, would have been very, very, very different. different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In a way, that's why film is, that's why film is so endlessly fascinating for, to work in. Mm. Is because you know that the slightest thing can change. Mm -hmm. I did a film for Nora, which shall remain nameless. And? Well, we did a film, and um, it, it had a stellar cast, you know, fantastic cast. And, and people literally were falling about at the rushes, you know. It, it was hilarious and dark yeah. and funny mm -hmm. and everything, and witty, and yeah. this, that, and the other. So, I mean... I think I can guess the film. Yeah, yeah. what's coming. It's just yeah. like, what happened? No, no one knows. It just... They stuck it all together, and it just didn't work mm. it, it just wasn't any good and you can't describe how easy you know it is to get it wrong to get it wrong yeah it can only be one thing and ken who i admire for so many reasons mm. but one of the things that he i admire him for and envy him for and everybody does is the fact that he makes his films in a way that he he can listen to his own voice and it doesn't get distracted <laughs> by other interested parties. He doesn't allow 
it to be distracted for that reason. Yeah. It doesn't mean you won't listen to what people say or doesn't want to know what people think. But he doesn't have to experience that kind of mayhem that can sometimes happen when everybody is trying to help fix something that they can't, you know, or yeah. whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, that, that, too many kooks. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> We would just stop. <laughs> we'll under, we'll and on that note, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll move on. Yeah. Um, before we we run out of time, I wanted to also just talk about the wonderful sounds that you created and music you created for, and continue to do so as well for things like Planet Earth and Blue Planet and Frozen Planet. And are those things fun to do? Because well, they, they were. Yeah, they were. They yeah. were fantastic to yeah. do. Yeah. Blue Planet, in a way, changed everything for me because um, I could see that I would go on doing film, you know, film after film mm-hmm. after film. When the Blue Planet came along, it just it just was a whole different thing. Mm. And the fact that I was able to write a big orchestral score for something like that, yeah, and that that's what they wanted, and then everything that flowed from it, because you know, I had the most amazing opportunities mm. because. The film of it, I recorded with the Berlin Philharmonic, wow. and it was just amazing. And and then I made concert versions of the, all these things and take them out and play them in the Hollywood wow. Bowl and things. And it, you amazing. know, it's amazing the sort of yeah. magic of the Blue Planet has. And now the Blue Planet has begat, as it were, begat uh, <laughs> yeah. Blue Planet Two, and yeah. presumably Blue Planet Three and Four and Five and forever onwards, and Planet Earth the same. music for those things yeah. I mean hours of music yeah. that um, I don't in any way wish that I was still doing yeah. them they were a sort of a wonderful period in my life but I, I like to keep moving well it's like you were saying earlier about not doing the same thing over and over and over yeah. again have you got like a not a wish list but have you got things or directors that you you know you talk about Red Joan and you were like I want to do that and kind of putting yourself forward for it uh yes and and there are um i did another film called <laughs> cold pursuit yeah which was um distracted uh largely by liam neeson's yeah. press conference but in actual fact i really really enjoyed that because it was sort of out in a bag that i've never worked in before yeah and with somebody who i thought was a fantastic director Hans Petter Mellon and I did the score all electronically and with old analog gear I really loved him doing that and I worked with my nephew um, oh, wow. Dan Carey who's a oh amazing I know Dan you know Dan yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. he and I I did it at his studio oh wow <clears throat> so that was um really nice yeah. oh that's amazing
thing is kind of finding ways to to step into new territory yeah. and new areas. I think so. Yeah. Um, just lately, um, since you mentioned Dangerous, um, <laughs> there's a theatre, uh, an opera company in Germany who are currently performing a ballet called Dangerous Liaisons, which has music by Handel, Vivaldi, Corelli, etc. But it does have also they've some of the score. <gasps> That's brilliant. Have you oh, seen it yet? No, I haven't seen it. But it, but it, but it is really nice that they're doing it. And that is in fact one of the things that I. I still wish, I hope I can do one day is do something for dance. That would be brilliant. I'd really love to do that. But in the film world, I mean, yeah, what I, I, I think working in sort of different, with different people who make things in a different way. Mm -hmm. That's why working for Ken was such an amazing thing when it happened, you know, because he, he makes his films in a completely different way than every other film I'd ever done. Yeah. So it was great, yeah. Was composing for, for, for film and for TV as well something that you always wanted to do? Not really. <laughs> yeah. No, not really. I don't think so, no. Yeah. I mean, first of all, because I'm older now, when I grew up, it was a very unusual world mm -hmm. from someone with my background to go off and become a composer of music for films because there were very few opportunities and there were very few pathways into doing that. And... I mean, I had a wonderful childhood, actually, but there was something in my childhood always that made me feel I didn't quite fit with mm -hmm. my life, my the expectations of what my life would be. You know, I always felt just like I was sort of outside it somehow. And music was the thing that I got solace from. Or, yeah. Or a kind of a kick from you know, mm. playing in bands and things when I was a teenager, where I just could lose myself for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And so I knew that I wanted to be in that world. But if someone had said, hey, you know, there's a job going at this recording studio and I'd become an assistant engineer and then an engineer, or I'd become a record producer, or, or I played an orchestral instrument and I could have become a musician, mm -hmm. and I think I would have been, any of those things would have been fine. I just wanted to be in... In that world. In that world, yeah, because of the people. Yeah. So how did you make that first step into composing? I was playing mm -hmm. for a living, and I had played... Um, this is not a tip of how to get into the business, <laughs> by the way, because this is so ridiculous, <laughs> what I'm about to say. But anyway, I was playing... I'd, I'd done a job playing in the theatre mm -hmm. at for the Royal Shakespeare Company. Yeah. And I got a call from the Royal Shakespeare Company saying that a director there would like to meet me. And I assumed that the director in question wanted me to play. In fact, the director, because, of, because, because I had, when I, le when I first started in the business, I'd had a job in a West End play. I'd had an equity ticket and I also had my picture in Spotlight. He had seen my picture in Spotlight and confused me with, another, with an actor that he'd seen on the TV or the assistant. So, so actually, he wanted to meet someone else. Oh, wow. Who he thought that I was that person. <laughs> that you were that actor. I was an actor. So I went with my guitar to the audition, and he said, well, and we, we sort of said, you know, and he said, well, you're here, you know, why don't you, you may as well play us something since you're here. So I played him something, and he said, well, he said, you could be in the show, actually, you could be, and you could be in the court of of Orsino, and you and and, and you could be in the play. And I said, "Oh, okay, fine." And he said, <laughs> and, "And I to play a bit of you know lute or whatever, yeah. you know." And then he said, "Do you think you'd be able to arrange some of the music, some of the songs?" And I said, "Yeah, probably." And and I he sent me off to see to look for the songs, and I went and looked for them, the traditional arrangements, you know, or yeah. traditional settings of. Them. Shakespeare songs and um, and there was one that I couldn't find so I wrote something and then I played it when I was playing all the other ones I said um, oh I've, I've, I've got this I don't know what you think of this I didn't say I've written it I just said it and I played it to him and he said oh, he said yeah that's good and I said um, okay good I said I wrote that one actually <laughs> he said well that's good well you could write the rest then that's amazing yeah Exactly. I did, um, I wrote the music to it. And, and like I was saying at the beginning, you know, the, 
business of writing in this way so much depends on the people you work for. Mm -hmm. And he then opened as a theatre Riverside Studios in Hammersmith. Oh, wow. So I did all his plays there. He made a TV film of a Stephen Polyakov script, and I did that. The producer of that asked me to do the next one, which was being directed by Stephen Frears. Amazing. Etc. Etc. And so people, you wow. know, would see his work, yeah. and then you know, and that, the rest—that's how it. Went. The rest is history. Well, that, that's, <laughs> it was how I got going. I mean, yeah, it, it, that's it, amazing. The, the weird thing—it's become harder and harder. Really? Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think because you know more, so you you become. You know, the more you know, the more insecure you get about your what you don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah. think, I think when you're young, you just you just go, oh well. You yeah. Know, okay. I'll do this, and what do you think of that? Yeah, great. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. You don't you don't think, yeah, but is it too, or is it this? Or yeah. It don't analyze things as much. Think about them too much. Thank you so much for your time. Absolute it's pleasure. Been this. Thank you so I've much. I've got to come back for part two at some point because All there's right. about another seventy odd films to talk. Because I talk too much. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> George, thank you so much. Thank Cheers. You. As mentioned earlier, that's the main theme to Terry Gilliam's The Zero Theorem, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with composer George Fenton. My huge thanks to George for taking the time to talk to us and to Venetia in his office for helping us out with some of the harder to source cues. His body of work is truly staggering and well worth checking out. We've put a Spotify playlist up for this show, which you'll be able to access via edithbowman.com, which is also the place to catch up with all of our previous episodes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And do keep telling your friends about us if you like what you hear. Next up, talking about their latest tiny little film, Avengers Endgame. It's a return for the Russo brothers. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>